coming year, um, we would be able to take that out to the community in, in many different ways. And we don't know what all those ways are yet. Um, we're just a few weeks away from finishing that curriculum through the Gospel of Mark and then talking and trying to figure out how best to take the Gospel to the people in our town, in our county. Um, so if you want to be involved in that discussion, and we wish you would, uh, come to Sunday School. Um, we will be especially trying to talk about that in a few weeks. And uh, the, the main thing, though, that, that all of us can do, whether we are directly involved or not, is to pray. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would bring in the harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would raise up workers to bring in the harvest. And pray that the harvest would be full. Um, God is a good God. He desires all men everywhere to be saved. And we believe that there are many here in Jasper who need the gospel, who have not yet believed, and many who have believed and are not fed well and so need uh, better feed. And so we, we, pray that we, we ask you to join us in praying for these things. Um, the, uh, the other thing is uh, just a couple other random things. Um, the Right to Life Banquet. Uh, it's just a week and a half or so. Um, the uh, part of that money will go to raise money for Right to Life. Right to Life is uh, anti-abortion advocacy group. Um, this is our region, so it's the southwest region of Indiana, um, and they do all kinds of things. Where I was involved up in northern, north central Indiana, so I know more of what they were doing. But up there, uh, they had. They raised money for individual women's clinics that provided free health care and free um, ultrasounds and free diapers and free daycare and all kinds of things for mothers who were unwed and that sort of thing, taking care of them so they were not tempted to get an abortion. Um, And then they also raised money for an RV that had ultrasound equipment and a doctor's station in it that would travel to the small towns in the area that didn't have enough resources to have a full clinic. And they would do those all the time. Um, And those are the sorts of things that we need to have. Uh, It's not just enough that abortion becomes anathema. We actually have to provide for the women who get themselves in situations where they have an unplanned for pregnancy. And I don't mean an unforeseen pregnancy. If you're having sex, you're going to get pregnant at some point. Uh, I mean an unplanned pregnancy. They they didn't think that they would get pregnant. Um, And part of the gospel witness is to take care of the poor. Um, And many of these people are poor. And so just be praying for uh, abortion in our state. Although it it had been on the decline for about a decade, it has now kind of leveled off and and actually increased in the last couple of years. And if you don't know, there's around 8,300 abortions in Indiana every single year. And those are the ones that we track, which means those are the ones that happen at places like Planned Parenthood. We don't know how many chemical abortions happen. That would be like the Plan B pill uh, because those are not tracked uh, because you can't verify if a woman was pregnant. She just asks for the pill and gets it. Um, So those are not tracked. So there's thousands more that die that way, children. And then there are those who are on um, birth control. And birth control causes the womb to not receive a fertilized egg, which is a human being. And so very, very many women never know they are pregnant because they're on the pill uh, because the egg never has a chance to implant on the womb. 
Um, so we have no idea, no way to track, and no way to know. And the only one who knows all of those babies, all of them, every single one of them, is our Lord and Creator, God, who made every single one of them, sperm and egg together, as soon as they are joined in his image. And so we need to pray. Whether you attend or not, we need to pray that God would be kind in his judgment over our nation for the 60 million known abortions and the many millions and millions and millions that we do not know. That God would be kind in his severity, but we do not want to continue this wickedness. It is We have led the world, and now the world is well over, uh, I think, somewhere around 200 billion since Roe v. Wade. 200 billion, probably. Those are the estimates of how many actually have died. Do you realize, I mean, not 200 billion, 200 million, sorry, I'm using the B word, 200 million, right? That's, that's an estimate, because we don't know the actual number. It's probably higher than that. Probably closer to a half a billion since 1973 worldwide. You know, that's a lot of living, breathing human beings that we don't know their names. We don't know what they look like. We don't know what their eye color is, whether they're male or female. We don't get to look at their cute little toes and fingers and noses. We don't get to hear their cries. We don't get to hear their laughs. God, in his mercy, has not wiped us out for this evil. But God, in his judgment, will judge us for these things. So be praying for that, that God would help us to end this atrocity in our land. To that end, let me pray, and then we'll get into the sermon. Father, we are very grateful that even despite these things, that you are with us. But we pray, Father, that you would give us a zeal and a passion for the unborn, um, because they are made in your image, and that you created every single one of them, and that you care and love for every single one of them. And Father, we pray that you give us that same care, that same compassion, that we would desire that all of them to be born and brought up so they might have a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, be brought up in the church to raise families of their own so that many, many more millions would be in the kingdom uh, through generations. And so, Father, we pray that you'd convict the women who are headed in this week that they should not do this. We pray that you would convict the families of these women that they shouldn't force these women to do this. We pray that the boyfriends and husbands of these women would actually take responsibility for these things and care for the children that they have produced. Um, And we pray, Father, that you would rid the land of this awfulness, rid the world of this awfulness, and that you would help us to repent. We pray this in the name of your good son, Jesus. Amen. So back then to chapter 11 of Mark is where we're at as we work through the gospel of Mark. That's what Christianity Explored is doing. It works through the gospel of Mark over the course of seven weeks. Um, We're doing a parallel in the sermon. This isn't exactly anything that we're going to hear in the Sunday school. And this week, chapter 11, um, I'm going to start earlier than than the um, bulletin says. I'm going to start in chapter 11, verse 12. Um, And remember that this is the entrance into Jerusalem the week of Jesus' death. So this is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Palm Sunday that we celebrate. A week later, Easter, when he rises from the grave. And on Friday is when he died that week. Um, This is that week. 
right? So when we're reading, be thinking, this is the very end of Jesus' life that he's doing these things. The very end. Um, so on the following day, this is verse 12, when they, came from, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he fa- came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers, and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, It is not written, My house shall be called a house. Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? And you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is also in heaven, may forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that it would be helpful to us this morning, that it would enlighten our eyes and hearts to know you, believe in you, trust in you more. We pray that our doubts would be removed and our faith would be restored. In Jesus' good name, amen. So, this is a pretty strange thing that happens right at at the very end. one thing that happens again, this was, he also did this at the beginning of his ministry, is Jesus entered the temple and drove out the money changers. Some people think it only happened once. I'm a guy who thinks it actually did happen twice. Um, we can debate that at a later time. It's not consequential to the gospel ministry. He did it at least once. He drove the money changers out of the temple. And Mark here records it um, in between this event. So he goes... Curses the fig tree because it doesn't have fruit. Drives the money changers out. The next day, the fig tree is dead. Okay? Mark and the gospel writers, this is also recorded in the gospel of Matthew, um, are using Old Testament imagery all the time. And if you're not aware of it, you'll miss it. And one of the things that is an Old Testament imagery is the fig tree. Um, Olive tree is another one. And these are figures of Israel, okay? Israel, God's chosen people. And what happens is these things that Jesus did physically, he, there was an actual fig tree, it actually withered and died, he actually did curse a real tree, was a representative of a spiritual reality that Jesus was displaying, telling the people. And in the middle of this curse, before the, they see that the, the result of the curse is this driving out of the temple, of cleansing it, purifying it. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, and it has been made into a den of robbers. And what's going on is Jesus is saying, Israel, 
my chosen people, have not borne fruit in keeping with repentance. Instead, they have made my house into a den of robbers, and therefore they will be cut off. This is paralleled in things like Romans chapter 11, uh, where it says the Jews will be cut off for a time because of their unbelief, so the Gentiles will be brought in and grafted in. Um, It's paralleled um, also in uh, Luke chapter 13, uh, where it says this. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And he told this parable. So this is a parable, right? So this is not the event. This is something he said. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig, it ar- dig around it and put manure on it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. And so Jesus gave three and a half years of his life, that last year of the... He gave the Jews time to repent, the nation of Israel, time to repent, even though they had not borne fruit for years and years. And they did not bear fruit. And so he did cut them off. The Jews of today... Um, if you don't know this, there's approximately 15 to 20 million Jews in the world today. Um, and most of them live in the United States. The other big chunk live in Israel. But most of those 15 to 20 million live here, mostly on the East Coast. And the vast, vast majority of them are Reformed Jews. And Reformed, in our tradition, means biblical. <laughs> Reformed in the Jewish tradition means liberal, and the vast majority of Jews in this country are atheistic, agnostic. They do not acknowledge God, though they are Jewish. They celebrate all the sorts of rituals of Judaism, but they do not acknowledge God of heaven. Nor do they acknowledge his son, Jesus Christ, and therefore they are not saved. Um, They have been cut off. Now, Romans 11 assures us that at the very end, there will be an ingrafting again of the Jews. Um, when that is, how that will happen, I don't know, and that's not this morning's sermon. Um, but as of right now, the Jewish faith is a false faith. They do not believe in the same God as us because they do not believe in God. Um, they are just as much a false faith as Buddhism or Islam. They reject the Son of God, Jesus Christ And therefore, they do not have faith. Now, why do I say all that? It's because this was a prophetic word from Jesus. In Luke 13, he says, if if it does not bear fruit, I'm going to cut it off. And here he says, I'm cutting it off. And in Romans 11, it says, it has been cut off. Why does that matter for us? We're Gentiles, most of us. I don't know. Some of you may have Jewish ancestry and and trace your lineage back. Um, But even if you do, if you're a Christian, you believe in the Messiah and therefore are saved. Um, The same sort of warning comes to us. Okay, So Israel was a proud people because of the fact that they knew the God of heaven. They knew who he was. They knew what he had done. They had told the truth about the creation of the world. 
They had told the truth about what happened in Israel at the Exodus. They had told the truth through the law of David and Moses. They had told the truth for thousands of years. And yet it lived in a way that denied that truth. And eventually, eventually, they were cut off. The same warning is given to Christians. It's given over and over again to Christians. And in places like Romans 11, where we are told that the Jews have been cut off because of their unbelief, we're given the same sort of warning uh, to ourselves. Um, Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but kindness to you, meaning the Gentiles, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. We're also given the same sort of warning in Revelation where he talks about the seven churches and the lampstands and says if you do not continue, if you don't come back, if you don't repent, your lampstand will be removed. There will be no church of Sardis. There will be no church of Thyatira. Every single church in the world gets this warning. And it is this. this. Even if you claim to know God but don't actually know him and worship him as the true God, possessing knowledge, possessing the truth, is not the same as believing the truth. And if all you do is possess the truth, if all you have is this book that you say is is true and you just put it over here and you have nothing to do with it, if that's what you have, then you are in danger of being cut off. Now, does that have anything to do with us here in Jasper? Well, I think so. And I think in two ways. Um, the first is this. So we, we talk about, I talk about the history of your church, or your church, our church, right? I'm here. Um, I talk about the history here quite a bit because it's important for us to remember. When the PCUSA began its shift, and you can trace this as far back as you want. You can go clear back to the 1850s if you want. You can go to the 1920s and 30s and the fundamentalist controversy or the 70s. Whatever you want to count as the shift that began the destruction, it happened. And as it continued, the warnings were given. And they kept saying the whole time, no, 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 we, we have the Bible. We have it. And God continued to issue warnings against the PCUSA and the American Baptist Church and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America and on down the United Church of Christ. Whichever one you want to pick, any of the main lines that have ended up, though, though claiming allegiance to this book, leaving it over there and doing their own thing. That's exactly what had happened in the nation of Israel. Who possessed the truth. They actually had the words of God. They just didn't live by them. And they were eventually cut off because they rejected the Son of God. Um, This happened. This happened. Um, And it happened enough here in Jasper where this church nearly vanished. Why did it nearly vanish? Because this church attempted to be faithful in the midst of a dying denomination that had rejected much of the truth of Scripture We are all in danger of this. It, there's no safeguard of switching denominations. 
Okay. We want to think that if we, the move from the PCUSA to the PCA and now into Evangel Presbytery is the safeguard. That's not the safeguard. Safeguard is not a denomination that supposedly holds to a better adaptation of the scriptures. The safeguard is faith. That's what it is. Safeguard is actual faith. Believing the things that we say we believe. Doing the things that we say we believe. And we see that in Mark. That in this, in this chunk of scripture, in this word that we have, the fig tree withered and died. And then Jesus gives this very strange, weird answer to his disciples. The disciples say, look, that fig tree you cursed yesterday, where you said don't bear any fruit anymore for anybody, it's not just going to not bear fruit. It's completely dead. It's down to the roots. There's nothing left of that thing. It's like, uh, you know, when Greg brings your uh, uh, roundup and sprays the weeds or the spots along the edge, it's green the first day, it begins to wither the second day, and by the fourth or the fifth day, it's Gone. That happened in a single day at the word of our Lord. Withered and died. And so, I mean, there's a thousand ways where we think Jesus could have went with his response to this. Um, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Faith is this thing that has to exist. And what does this faith do? Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. We don't think too much about the context of what Jesus is saying here, but the mountain thrown into the sea is not a good thing. Right? It's in the context of a tree withering and dying. And if you think to things like uh, Psalm 46... Right? God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Almost every time, now I didn't check this, so you might be able to find the exception, but I would wager almost every single time in Scripture we talk about mountains moving, it's a bad thing. It is not good. It's a sign that the Lord is judging the earth. So what kind of a response is that? Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Is Jesus talking about an actual mountain? Right? Was he talking about the Mount of Olives or some other mountain that he was pointing to and saying, that mountain right there, if you believe that mountain can be thrown into the sea, into the Mediterranean, it'll be done. I don't think so. We just had a fig tree lither and die that was a representative of the nation of Israel being cut off. And now Jesus is talking about a mountain being thrown into the sea and believing in our hearts that it will be so. It is this, that we should never want, ever, false churches to exist in this world. We should not want false churches to exist and to promulgate their false gospel to this world. Now this is a hard thing, and that's why I think Jesus says it like this, because we don't like to think 
that somebody else shouldn't be saying the thing that they're saying. We don't like to think in judgmental ways, right? We always hear ringing in our Western ears, judge not, judge not, judge not, judge not. And yet scripture says, judge amongst yourselves. Judgment begins in the household of God. That no, we don't spend our time saying, look over there and how wicked that guy is over there doing his pagan thing. That's not our job. Our job is to call attention to the fact that he is sinning and will one day face the judgment. But our job is to say to the church, to each other, we will be cast into the sea if we are not careful. And it will be good if we are. Now, when you put it in that kind of context, the withered fig tree, the casting into the sea, we realize that this is not a passage of Scripture we should be putting on like postcards and stuff. If you would only believe, you could move a mountain. People have no idea what that actually is talking about. That means that they're praying for something to happen, which is the, the removal of a lampstand from a church. That the denominations that hold power, the people that think they're, they have these false religions, that they would come crumbling down into the sea. And that's what will happen at the end. At the very end of all things, what happens? The great white throne judgment seat of God. Jesus Christ triumphant over the earth. And he will judge. And all that are false will be cast into the lake of fire. The great burning sea of eternity. So do we believe this? It's hard to believe this. That's why Jesus here doesn't just say, you know, if you have faith, you can move a mountain. And you can say to this mountain be taken up and thrown into the sea. But don't doubt in your heart and believe what he says will come to pass. This is a hard thing to believe. Jesus is full of hard sayings. The disciples often ask Jesus, well, who then? How can? This is a hard thing. Who can believe this? This is impossible. Yes, lots of things about Christianity are hard things. But we don't want, we don't want the promulgation, the 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 growth of the false church that claims itself to be Christian. We want them to be thrown into the sea. Not actually. We don't want a bunch of people to go drown in the ocean. But we want those false churches to cease from being. We don't want people to be deceived by false Christianity. We don't want it. And we have to believe that God will bring them crumbling to the ground. So we should hope And pray for these things. Not vindictively. Not because we don't like the church that is next door. right? Not because we don't like the pastor who's over there. Not because we don't like our neighbor who goes there. But if they preach a false doctrine. If they have left the Bible on the podium and went off their own way. We should pray that that mountain would be thrown into the sea. That that fig tree would wither and die. And we should hope in our heart that it happens. Not because we desire bad things, but because we desire the best thing to come, which is the gospel, the real gospel, the true thing. That if you let this thing over here grow, what does it do? If you let this mountain stand in the way, what happens? So if a fig tree grows in an orchard, right? So let's pretend you have an orchard. And you have a fig tree that refuses to bear fruit. 
What does any intelligent farmer do? He removes the fig tree. He does not keep it in his orchard because it takes up space that could be actually useful. Same sort of idea. What does the mountain do for those who need to get through to the other side? Stops their progress. If the mountain is moved, progress can go forward with greater speed and efficiency. That's why we bore through tunnels through mountains. That's why we put railroad tracks over the top. We have to get through, around, above, across the mountains. We want the fig trees who don't bear fruit, the mountains who are blocking the path of God to be gone so that the gospel will advance with power and might and force and good. We actually want people to be saved, not to think they are saved, not to have a false hope of assurance when they will get to the end and they will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. We don't want people to do that. We don't want thousands and millions of people to do that. Therefore, we should hope and pray that God would dismantle, dismantle false Christianity all across this world every single day. And so, no, it's not a bad thing to think that church needs to go. If they're preaching false Christianity, if they have hope in a gospel that is not Jesus Christ, If they tell people how to be saved and it is not through the grace of our Lord, they need to go. They need to go quickly. They need to wither. They need to be gone. And so in our own history, God sent a warning blow to us a decade ago and said, if you are not careful, I will cut you off like I am cutting off the rest. And by God's kind grace, kind grace, he cut us down to the root here, down to the ground And out of the ground, blossoming red, the church begins to grow and live again. But all the time knowing if we depart, if we go the way of the liberal church who denies the scripture, we will again face the axe. It will come back. God will not allow the false Christianities of this world to continue to go unimpeded for the rest of eternity. Whether it's in this life or in the next, he will put an end to the falseness that is preached in his name. So then, what else does he say? That's hard enough. And then he continues on. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whatever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses, But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. So here is the split side of this. Judgment over on this side that we should hope continues to happen so that God's gospel will go forward with power and people will actually be saved. And this one. This is is the antidote to do not judge, do not judge, do not judge. It is actually forgive. Be at peace with all men. Do not hold bitterness and grudges in your heart. Don't think yourself a better man than the guy who was a part of a false church. Don't think that you've got it together and they've got it all wrong and I'm the... Forgive your brothers and sisters in Christ. And again, we have done this here. PCUSA is a notoriously difficult church to leave. 
You know this personally. It's very difficult to leave with your building and your land. It almost always costs you something. And yet because you strive to live at peace with all men, here we sit in our church, on our land, free and clear. And it was not the PCUSA's doing. It was this. We chose as a body to forgive our brothers and sisters in the PCUSA of the wrong they had done against you, the wrongs that they had perpetrated in the pulpit and in their seminaries at times, and to say we only desire the gospel to go forward. And it was not the PCUSA's doing that gave us this building. It was God's kind gift to you and to me and to us. Now, we still have this problem in ourselves. Our temptation will be to not like the big church because it has more people. But we must guard against that and not hold grudges and bitterness towards the folks who are bigger than us. But instead forgive and be willing to forgive a thousand faults as long as they are not in error in the gospel. Right? So Paul says as much when he says, you know, this person is preaching the gospel out of vanity, and I praise the Lord that the gospel is preached. If the real gospel is preached, we should not hold in derision those who preach it. But if the gospel is not preached in a church, we should desire that God would kick it crumbling to the ground so that people's souls might be saved. And these are the two hard things that Jesus has us doing holding on to, and this warning that he gave to Israel, he gives to us too. And it's such a kindness to us. It's such a kindness that God would warn us. He's not a vindictive God who comes with an axe with no warning, right? He doesn't come on the first day that an error is made and chop the tree down. He warns. He warns, and he has warned us. Let's not be like those churches who set aside the gospel of Jesus Christ and his word and do our own thing. But let us be attached to him and his word. Let us hold fast to this so that we're not cast into the sea, so that our vine tree doesn't wither and die. And so that instead of just an empty building sitting on St. Charles, there will be a full, vibrant church here boasting of the glory of Jesus Christ and the salvation that is found in him and in him alone and living at peace as best we can with all men, desiring all men to be saved and to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. These are our hopes. These are our anchors. This is where we have to stand. The nature of man is to presume he is right all the time. The second nature of man is to doubt that he can ever make a judgment about being right. But if we're in accords with the gospel, the word of God, we are right. And we shouldn't be proud of this. The spirit of the gospel, right, the spirit of the gospel, the spirit that guides us into the truth, will open our eyes to the truth, the rightness, the true things, to our guilt and our need for a savior, And will create in us a heart that is quick to forgive, 
quick to forgive, and yet holds with absolute firmness the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Staunchly, unwaveringly, purposefully. And we have to be both of those things. Um, There's a phrase in a book, uh, probably has other things, I don't know, velvet steel. This is what our church needs to be. Forgiving and absolutely rock solid on these things. So that we will not be cut off. And so that we will stand firm in the gospel, knowing that the grace of God has appeared to all men, including us, and gives us salvation. Uh, Let's stand this morning. We will pray, and then we will sing. Father, we are very grateful that you have given to us warnings in Scripture.